0: Good evening, LCM. Tonight is May 5th, Cinco de Mayo 2022. Hey, I am pumped up and stoked tonight. I am looking at a group of men and women who know how to celebrate and rejoice in the victories of God and the goodness of what he's doing right here and right now in this moment are you guys warriors? Are you saints? Are you lovers of God? Then we're all in the right place together tonight. We're excited to share a word that has been stirring in both Nick and I and has been transforming our lives all week. And it requires something from you guys to help us out a little bit tonight. That buildup that we had in worship, that victorious and triumphant attitude that we gained ground on, we're going to keep escalating it as we preach and as we conclude our time together tonight. So are you victorious tonight, church? Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8 together.
1: Come on, you guys getting there? Man, I I just want to stand with Pastor Matt for a moment and agree with what he just said. We couldn't be any more proud of the level of fight that we can feel in this room tonight. I know that things might be difficult, but we can see that your fight is rising up to the occasion tonight, and we, we can feel a level of breakthrough, but let me share a secret with you. We have not yet attained to the level that we are going to leave here with. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 7 says, For the Lord your God is... Is bringing you into a good land. A land with brooks, streams, and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills. A land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey. A land where bread will not be scarce. You will lack nothing. A land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper right out of the hills. Guys, are you visualing... Visualizing this land as I'm reading this passage, are you visualizing the brooks, the streams, the deep springs that are gushing? Are you standing among the valleys and the hills? Are you looking at things like wheat and barley, vines, fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey? This is a glorious kind of land. And the Lord is leading us straight into that promised land. Guys, even in the promised land, we know. That there will be cycles of planting and harvesting, cycles of death to life, and that of various types of crops. This is where we are going. This is what they would do in the promised land. Israel we're talking about here. And the faithful father was going to train his children well before reaching the promised land. We're talking about the process of getting there. The Lord would make sure that his training process and the principles that resulted would be deeply ingrained in his people.
0: Hey, can't you guys appreciate training, the training process? That well in advance of actually getting to that moment, you have repeated the skill set over and over again. Well, that's exactly what God is telling his people here. I am or I will bring you into the promised land. This is what will be there. And well in advance of you arriving, I'm going to make sure that you have the right skill set to properly inherit my my promises. Now when he's saying I'm bringing you into a good land, you realize that this doesn't happen overnight, right? I mean, you don't stumble and all of a sudden there it is right there on your lap. There is a time of training that that process is repeated over and over again. And this is actually a hidden gift. And this is why. I'm going to read to you out of Proverbs 20, verse 21. It says, an inheritance quickly gained at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. So it is a gift that God doesn't give us all of the promises all at once. He's actually being a good father that is training up our character and our skill set to rightfully
1: possess and inherit the promises that are coming in front of us. And the truth is, is because we know this, we don't want the promise all at once. Because we know verses like Proverbs 20, 21, that's not our desire. We're actually learning to embrace and love the journey, to embrace and love the process that we're all experiencing together along the way to the promise. Guys, we can guarantee you tonight that it's not just you And it's not just us going through this journey. No, 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 no. no. Your pastors are definitely going through this cyclical process just like we know that each of you are as well. Yeah. The journey that the Lord took Israel on, we're talking about the journey that he took them from Egypt all the way to that land of promise. Do you remember that it wasn't the fastest route?
0: Yeah. That's right.
1: It also... It wasn't the easiest terrain that was available to them, guys. No, it wasn't either a way that avoided all troubles or even a way that avoided enemy territories. No, that's not what the journey looked like at all. Think about how this thing started for the nation of Israel. All right, so the journey started
0: with Israel under the thumb of Egypt, the most dominant superpower of their day. They're in a position where it's something that's seemingly impossible, a situation that one would look at and seemingly seemingly you have no hope. How is God's deliverance going to happen in this impossible situation? Well, we all are very familiar with the mighty hand of God moving day after day in a way that caused Israel's captors to then beg them to leave. After each subsequent plague, it finalizes with them giving the Israelites uh, parting gifts and saying, please, leave our country now. This is getting too impossible for us to have to endure. Well, one of the very next things that happens was their conundrum at the Red Sea. They found themselves a bit trapped. In front of them is an impossibility of a, a sea they can't cross, and their past is catching up to them. So, the mighty hand of God, once again, led them to this very spot. And his mighty hand was, again, not too short to deliver them
1: at this point in their journey. Guys, we could actually do this for a while. We could walk through these challenges that Israel faced over and over again. And truth is, we just might visit more later in our message. But for right now, we recounted these two so that you would understand something. The journey of all believers' lives is a constant, ongoing journey, passing from death to life, and then back to death, and then back to life again. It, it in fact, never ends. This is a staggering reality. And even more so, listen to this, there is no other way to reach that land of promise. You guys getting that? there is no
0: other way than that cyclical death-to-life journey to actually reach the Promised Land. So from Egypt to the Promised Land, the Lord was continually leading Israel from death to life, from hunger to satisfaction, from impossible situation to miraculous deliverance, from enemies on all sides to then supernatural victories for his people. What he was doing here is that he was cultivating the soil of Israel's hearts. He was wanting to make sure that they knew that this process was necessary to then reach the promised land. It could not be avoided. And that in the state of death, in the state of hunger, in the situations of impossibility, in danger, there was always life and deliverance right there on the other side. Through this whole process, this inevitable process, What God is doing is that he is training his children to trust him. You see that at the Red Sea. You see that as a continuance to the promised land. Absolutely. He is developing character necessary for his children to then occupy and inherit and rightly manage the land of promise. They were continually trained to triumph. They were continually trained to triumph. Say that with me. Train to triumph. That's the title of
1: tonight's message. Train to triumph. That's what I want to be. I know that's what you want to be as well. There's no other way to reach the land of promise, guys. You know, on a personal note, I've personally reached places just like the Red Sea. When I'm reading about our older brother Israel, seeing them butt up against the Red Sea with an army behind them chasing them, I can relate to that. I can think back to moments in my life where I've reached a seemingly dead end, where I know that God has spoken something that's beyond the sea. You see, but the sea's right here, and that's all that I can see in front of me. That's that's it. You see? You see what I'm seeing tonight? We see the sea, you see. Man. But over and over again, I've come to these places, and I'm able to look back. And see how I crossed on dry ground. The thing is, is that I feel accomplished at that point. When I cross and I look back and there's the Red Sea and I cross on dry ground, oh, it feels like I might be done with the process. Like, man, it's time to celebrate. Now there's going to be some flat ground in front of me. Now there's going to be some easy terrain in front of me, guys. Come on. Can you relate to that at all? Yes. Like, like the, the tension is finally released. I can sigh a sigh of relief. Oh, praise God. That's over with. I'm glad that's done, Pastor. Yeah. I'm thinking in those moments that maybe this cyclical pattern is for others, you know, for, for other people that I love. But it's, it's not for me. I, I triumphed over that already. That's just not the case, guys. No. The cyclical pattern doesn't need to change in this scenario. It's the very thing that's going to get me to the land of promise. No, my heart needs to change in this scenario.
0: Oh, that It's not only Nick's heart that needs to change. It's my heart that needs to change. It's all of our hearts that need to change. But here's the real question. What exactly needs to change inside of our heart? Let's all turn to 2 Samuel 23... To see an example that can defeat all the enemies that keep us from this process. <laughs> 2 Samuel 23, we're going to pick up in verse 8. Say train to triumph when you're there. These are the names of David's mighty warriors. Joseph, Bathsheba, a Tecumanite, yes. was chief of the three. He raised his spear against 800 men whom he killed in one encounter. Next to him, everybody say next to him. Next to him him was Eleazar, son of Dodai the Hoite, as one of the three mighty warriors. He was with David when they taunted the Philistines gathered at Pastamim for battle. Then the Israelites retreated, but Eleazar stood his ground And struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. The troops returned to Eleazar, but only to strip the dead. So this passage in verse 8, it begins with the title, David's Mighty Warriors. These were the names of men who faced death in battle and were supernaturally victorious Time and time and time again. So how exactly was Eleazar able to experience such consistent supernatural victory, and particularly in this battle? Oh, tell us, Pastor. Here's the secret that's worth writing down and ingrating in your heart. He knew who he was before going to battle. He knew exactly what he was called to be, had been trained to do, before he ever stepped onto that battlefield, Eleazar knew who he was because this man of God didn't just drop out of the sky as the mighty warrior that we all read about. No, 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 no. Eleazar, he began his journey somewhere. He began it in the cave of Adullam, a group of men who were discontented, indebted, disheartened, and this man was in desperate need of a change in his status. And he got something there. He got that change. The day that he was called by David, he was handpicked by the Davidic king. He was given the status of greatness, a calling of journey of great opposition. See, being called David's mighty warriors declares exactly what the cyclical journey is going to be for the rest of his life constant opposition, constant facing of death, and therefore constant victory on the other side. And he was called to face this great opposition in a cyclical manner. And this is what trained Eleazar how to conquer the opposition in front of him and in front of his brothers, even to the point of facing death. Standing there on the battlefield, all Israel has fled, and he is there ready to take them down no matter how long he has to stand within that status guys
1: think about Eleazar and the mighty fighting men for just a moment with us they were taking they were all taken on a journey from a cave all the way to the promised kingdom just like the journey that israel was taken on that we were reading in exodus these men were taken on a very very comparable journey It happened in their lives because God builds this way. The journey is the very thing that built the man that we are reading about in this passage named Eleazar. Guys, like Eleazar, we have all been called by the Davidic king. What needs to change in our own hearts is our own perspective of the journey that we are all on together. You never get a mighty fighting man like Eleazar without the journey that he took from the cave to the promised kingdom of this Davidic king. This journey, it included going from death to life, going from hunger to satisfaction, from impossible situation to miraculous deliverance from enemies on all sides to supernatural victories many, many, many times over as they all followed the Davidic king.
0: Look, tonight we're going to learn from the actions that Eleazar took when he faced the impossible situation in front of him. Eleazar, he stood his ground. He stood his ground because he was firmly planted in knowing his status given to him by the king immovable on the battlefield because he knew before the actual battle who he was and who his king had called him to be. He did not second guess. He did not waver. He did not doubt who he was. Instead, he was the man who had confidence in his status, and that's what gave him the strength to stand his ground and fight when others had fled. It was in standing firm in his status that then enabled him to have the sword Frozen to his hand. You know what this is for us? This is us standing our ground because we know our status beforehand and we have the authority of God's word in our possession. And it's by using that authority of his word over and over and over again that then it fuses with my entire being, it becomes exactly who I am. You know the word frozen used in this passage is the Hebrew word "debak." It is the, the word for superglue that they use in modern Hebrew. This fusion and bonding of the authority of God's word in me. But it all began because he knew who he was before the battle. And that gave him the confidence to stand and use that authority no matter how many times it took
1: to put down his enemy. For a moment, think about the fellow Israelites who fled when Eleazar chose to stand. Tonight, for us, these are the feckless and faithless thoughts and emotions in our own hearts when faced with battle. That desire to avoid death, the desire in us to run from the status that God has given you, and hope there is maybe some other way out of this impossibility. (laughs) I'm just going to try to go around it. No, no, no. That's never the solution. That is the delusion. Because God himself has been building through the journey since he established his nation.
0: Look, When he said that's not the solution, it's a delusion. This is what God's wakened my eyes of my heart up to the past week. What I'm seeing is that God is wanting me to have a firmer grasp of knowing the status of who he's called me to be and how to stand my ground using his word. And every time that I get to that point, there right alongside of me is my feckless and faithless soul that wants to run. It wants to avoid accountability. It wants to second guess and mull over and fine filter the transparency of sharing all the details of my mashlomka, the state of my soul. It wants to just hide in silence and wait until somebody else gives the answer because I'm really not sure if I have the right one and when they say it I'll just say yeah amen that's what I had too or whenever it is given and I thought I had it but I was I was fleeing away from my status there gets to be a defensive nature inside of me that beats myself up and beats everybody else up inside my own heart and then I just feel absolutely in despair you know what's happening yeah we know because we do it too (laughs) You know what's happening in us right now? We're standing back to our feet and going back to the original status that God has given us. We're going to stand our ground and not give any weight to that Israelite inside of us that wants to flee. And when we're facing down the Philistine of our own flesh, we're going to stand confidently and swing God's word as many times as it takes. And every time that we do, it becomes more ingrained into the depth of my soul. Come on, Pastor. Yeah, we're getting it tonight. Yeah.
1: What Pastor is articulating tonight, it's not a one-time experience for Pastor Matt. No. It's also not a one-time experience for me either. And it's definitely not a one-time experience for you. It's an ongoing battle. Yes. Guys, I'm learning to grab a hold of my newfound status. You know what I'm talking about. Mm the one that is a mighty fighting warrior. I'm learning to trust the character of my king within me more than the death in the physical that I see in front of me. I'm learning to stand my ground. I'm learning to be embedded in my status before the battle, not during the battle, but before it. I'm learning to rejoice in who he has made me before the war starts. Then, When it happens, and we all know it's going to happen, learning to swing the sword of God's word at every faithless and despairing thought, repeatedly exercising the authority found in his standard, not stopping until every last one of them are dead and his word becomes frozen or debauched to my right hand and to my very soul.
0: You know what God is doing for us? He is training us to triumph. He is training us of knowing how to fight day in and day out. Did did you experience in worship that initial heaviness? But as we begin to stand upon our rightful status before God, we were putting it down left and right, left and right. And by the time worship concluded, we were at a victorious and triumphant level. That is the cyclical process that we get the privilege to participate each and every day. It is a privilege to be hand-trained by our living God to learn how to triumph. I'm watching this happen in the entirety of our church. We are becoming a mature body who is not wavering, who is not uh, scared and running. Instead, every single one of us are standing our ground because we know who we are. Help us all, Lord God. The training regimen that God has prescribed to lead us to triumph, It must be repeated over and over again. So that once what was arduous and a deliberate effort, it then becomes an instinctual and joyful response. Come on, on, you know what happens when you train in. You rep and you rep and you rep and you rep, and it gets to a point where you don't have to think about it. That's right, just flex the spiritual muscles, brother. (laughs) We're dropping unnecessary poundage of faithlessness and we are picking up the fortitude of a constitution from heaven are you guys familiar with that training process that you have to be deliberate and intentional but then it becomes instinctual (laughs) that's exactly right i tried to do pull-ups the other day and i got to two and a half well, I'm going to go back for some more because I'm being trained to up. I was talking about spiritually, though. So, coming back to Eleazar, not only did Eleazar stand his ground on his divine status and have a sword debunked to his hand, here's the additional thing. He was assembled with other mighty fighting warriors who were just like him, who were just like their king and that was a powerful exponent that gave them the security of brotherhood that we don't have to do this alone Amen. they were a group of men and we are a group of men and women who have each other next to one another on. and that each of us sitting here or fellowshipping throughout the week we are being armed and empowered in our assembly We're gaining confidence in each other, and we're gaining even more surety of what we can accomplish as a team. Are you guys experiencing that in in this church? Accomplishing more in a team than you could ever do by yourself. That is a powerful exponent, and we're going to keep adding more digits to it.
1: We want you to be able to see, to visualize, to feel the way that this is supposed to work inside of your heart when it's operating correctly. Turn with us to Psalm 112. We're going to begin in verse 6. This is as accurate of a picture as we could find of what comes out of us when we understand our status, like Eleazar did. When we learn to love the training that the journey that we're on together produces inside of us. Verse 6 says, Surely the righteous will never be shaken. Never. They will be remembered forever. Guys, when this status is operating in you before the battle, this is the kind of attitude that comes out of you. This is the kind of thought process that's rolling around in your head. Hey, the righteous will never be shaken. Surely a man of God who knows his status before the battle. That man will never be shaken, and that man is me. And I can have confidence in what is happening because the next line is they will be remembered forever. I know that the journey that God is taking me on right now is going to cause the perpetual memory of righteousness in my generations. It will be a memory that will not fail. It will be a steadfast thing that my generations can grab a hold of. Yeah, it is.
0: Y'all going to go with us in this journey? Verse 7 of Psalm 112. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Come on, when you know what your status is before God, you're not shocked by bad news that arises. To be more pertinent is that you're not shocked and devastated whenever something fleshly comes out of you. You're not looking at that as a sign of disqualification. It is a sign of magnification. Now I know where to put my sword exactly to. I'm going to annihilate that thing. Thank you, mighty God, for the privilege of revealing what's inside of my heart. There is no fear of bad news. There's no averting of what's being exposed. That's actually what we look forward to as mighty warriors in the Davidic kingdom. Their hearts are steadfast, immovable, on train and on thought. Because they trust in the living God. See that training to triumph, it requires the ever increasing level of trust. As we grow up, as we mature, God wants and is entrusting to us greater levels of responsibility. What that requires on our part is a greater level of trust that God can still do more in us than we can do for ourselves. And the process of maturity is the process of revealing what is hindering that maturity. You can all look back at your lives in the past year, and you can lift your heads up and say, thank you, God, for revealing what has been opposing my triumph this entire time. Thank you, God, for bringing it to the surface, not just to me directly, but through uh, my family, through my team, through this church, that I'm a better and stronger, mightier man now than I was before because I'm surrounded by men who want to be mighty men. We are a church who is victorious. We are a church who will continue to be victorious. And we're going to raise up some righteous
1: generations that will do the exact same thing, baby. Verse 8, their hearts are secure. Secure. This means that you will be sustained in that by God's mighty hand. You have nothing to fear. The next line, they will have no fear. In the end, they will look on triumph on their foes hey that's what it means to have this kind of confidence rolling around in your mind and on your heart you can be sure that in the end you will be triumphant It doesn't matter how many times you fall down, the righteous man rises again and again and again, and he's confident of the journey that his God is taking him on, and he knows the final outcome, and he can't be shaken from it. Not at
0: all. Look, speaking of those that will look in triumph on their enemies, we've been gleaning a lot, an abundance from heaven in our foundation studies of the book of Esther. You have Mordecai and Esther who are certain of their status before the battle. They stand their ground in the battle. They hold fast to God's word. They are assembled and unified together as one man and fought valiantly. They did look in triumph on all their enemies. That their eyes were able to see the putting to death and the crucifixion of Haman, his sons, and all that sought out out their annihilation. All God's people were filled with a joyful celebration of what God would do. What we covered here recently in Esther 9 is that nine months before the actual battle took place, God was giving them reason to rejoice before they ever stood in the battle. That is the display of confidence of your status before you ever reach the point of opposition. And nothing could be more of a stronger declaration of victory to the enemy than a giant smile and a celebratory rejoicing into the heavenly realm saying, no matter what you bring at me, my God will look on you in triumph and so will I. I will not be annihilated. My call will not be destroyed. My family will increase. Everything that God has promised, I am certain my feet are going to land on it.
1: Man, what Pastor Matt is saying right here is just getting me lit up because thinking about the gift that God has given us, the older donkey, his nation of Israel, we don't just get to read through Exodus and see the journey that God took them through, the faithfulness that he displayed for his nation, and how even through all of the Exodus, he caused them to increase and grow and mature in their walk with God, eventually reaching the promised land. We have the benefit of thousands of years of history after that. We have the benefit of looking at Israel today and seeing them in the land. Looking at Israel today and watching enemies on every single side of their country, but still they are not defeated. Still they are standing strong. Still they are being faithful. Only God Almighty can produce something like this in a people. Guys, their experiences from going from death to life are a gift to us Gentiles. They're the older donkey in this scenario, and we're the younger donkey in this scenario. Actually, Jesus is actually sitting with favor on the Gentiles in this moment in history. He's actually sitting on us because he wants salvation to break out and maturity to break out among the Gentiles so that he can in turn sit back on his people and watch them get saved as a nation all over again. Guys, we're going to learn from Israel tonight. We're going to gain confidence. We're going to gain a secure heart tonight from the history that we have walked through. If this is what we can learn from their experiences to gain these things, this is also what our generations can learn and gain from our own experiences. If we're looking at Israel in the past, what do you think your children are going to be doing? They're gonna be looking at your history, your experiences, your journey in gaining wisdom and insight and strength for their life. When you're securely standing in your status, going through this cyclical process of death to life, you're not only winning the battle for you, you are winning the battle for them right now. You are now able to train your sons and daughters and how to stand in their status as well before their battles begin.
0: That's such a good word. Our generations are worth fighting for, aren't they? This is exactly how we do it. That cyclical process of death to life in your life right now is what trains your generations to triumph. Well, remember walking through Israel's deliverance from Egypt followed by their supernatural victory at the Red Sea. Remember we covered that earlier? At this point, we'd like to continue that journey with you. We want to continue to equip you with the very next older donkey experience that Israel had on their journey to the promised land. So everybody turn to Exodus chapter 15 and say train to triumph as you turn. We're going to pick up in verse 22. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert ashore. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, stating, what are we to drink? So first and foremost, praise God that we have this older donkey, our older brother Israel, teaching us an extremely valuable lesson about the journey that we ourselves are currently on. And truth is, what what was the problem at this point as we're looking at this? Well, it was that Israel was grumbling. But the grumbling wasn't the deepest part of the actual problem. What the Lord was so gracious to do for his people was to put them in a situation where they would be tested so that they could see, I still need to fully grab a hold of the status that I have in being in the Lord. There was a magnification of what actually needed to be transformed. Without Mara, this would have never come out their souls. So it was a privilege and opportunity that God was exposing the condition of their hearts so that they could then be trained to triumph over what was inside of their hearts. Thank God for the next day that we get to try again. What God has designed for us that we're learning from our older brother Israel is that in this training process, he makes us come face to face with our own personal fragility, making them travel for three days, making them hunger and thirst and getting to that point where the flesh is crying out. And it's then where fragility of who you are comes to the surface. Now God has your attention. Now he can begin to speak in a way that will actually
1: lead you to train into triumph. Verse 25. As we read verse 25, I want you to note how amazing it is that the Lord gave us two sides of a response here in the people of Israel and in Moses. Look at how Moses responded to this. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him, taught him about a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. Guys, you've heard teachings about this bitterness becoming sweet, the bitter waters of your own soul becoming sweet, the bitter waters of humanity becoming sweet. We want to engage with this on a personal level with you tonight. There's a difference between hating my fleshly, sinful faults and hating my God-given fragility. Those two things, I've realized, are very, very close together. Hating sin and hating my weakness that God has given are two very, very different things. Hating my fleshly, sinful faults always produces what it produced in Moses, a crying out to the Lord, crying out for his own death and subsequent supernatural resurrection. But hating my God-given fragility, I've discovered that that is the thing that produces the grumbling and the complaining about the real challenges that I'm facing along the journey the same challenges that my loving father put there so that I would be taught and I would be trained up along the way. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12 with us. Say train to triumph. Where's your turn? Try, try, try. Hebrews twelve seven says, Endure hardship as discipline. Now you should be seeing that passage right there in a different light after reading Exodus 15 with us and diving in on a personal level. Endure hardship as discipline. We're not talking about you sinned and now you're getting disciplined for it. This particular passage is talking about God given hardships, God given fragility that you're experiencing in your life and the Lord is saying endure it as discipline, God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? Guys, my own God-given fragilities are the beautiful discipline of my father. They are the very thing that legitimizes my sonship with my father. How could I grumble and complain over these fragile portions of my life? No, they are the things that are making me stand up like Eleazar in the process. Yes. Oh,
0: look at verse 8. If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. Praise God. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and, and live. live. Man, when I look at this, I see that my own grumbling, it's a lack of submission. It's, it's a lack of respect and honor for the Lord and my Father actually training me to learn how to triumph over my own sinful nature. in those points of human fragility, whether it be actual physical strength, whether it be intellect or whatever it is. That's put in a place in me so that I can constantly look to my Father as my source of strength that's well beyond my own. It's to keep a constant dependency and trust that's there. Let's look at verse 10. Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our own good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant in time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it.
1: Guys, I've been realizing that I'm fighting against the very thing that I desire more than anything else in the entire world. I'm actually fighting against the real, fulfilling, purpose-filled life together with my Father and together with you. Guys, I want to share in my Father's holiness. I want to share in His righteousness, His greatness, not just for a little while, for the lifelong journey that repeats cyclically over and over and over again. It never ends until we reach that land of promise together. Guys, we're not giving up tonight. We will not stop. We will not shy away from this training because our Father will have his harvest through us. Amen. And this is the joy that we find before our next bout with yes. death. Before the battle. Before the difficulties that lie ahead for us tomorrow. <laughs> Guys, it doesn't matter how things look in the physical. We're going to go to Habakkuk chapter 3 together. Say train to triumph as you turn
0: doesn't matter how things look in the physical, our Father is still faithful. Verse 17 of Habakkuk 3, though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Do you see that as a declaration that we must shout to our souls, that we must stand in the status of what God has already given us before we get to these physical elements that seem like they are detriment? Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Look, we started this message in Deuteronomy 8, where the Lord said that he will bring us into a good land. And he will produce seven species of crops through our tilling, sowing, planting, cultivating, watering, and hard work. So how is it that someone is able to yet rejoice when crops fail and livestock does not increase? It's because their hearts have been trained by the character of God in the Word of God. And according to his promises that are so much more than the very current circumstances. In fact, they have no fear of bad news. Another way to say it in light of Habakkuk 3, they have no fear of bad crops. That's right. They're not shocked by the presence of bad crops. Instead, they know who they are before going into battle, just like Eleazar did. They stand their ground because they are firmly planted in knowing their status. They have the word of God debauched, frozen to their hand, becoming one with who they are and able to strike down their enemies over and over. And Haman's sons and their faithless accusations have no choice in this situation
1: but to flee or be impaled in public view. Guys, battling looks like this. You ready for it? Yeah. This is a battle. Oh my goodness, my children. I know their call in the Lord. Man, we got some children that are called to the fivefold in a swan. We have children with high callings in this place. But right now, they're running around like little hellions, and I don't know what to do. Oh, my goodness. Yet, I know what the promised land looks like. I know that I'm on the journey. And yet, I will rejoice in the process. Amen. The journey that the Lord is taking us through will be the training that those hellions now, but saints later, will need to see and experience so that they get to their land of promise just like you will. The beautiful part about it is that you don't have to do it alone. That's beautiful, isn't it? In fact, we want to say tonight that it's not even possible to do it alone.
0: We, we need a spotter in this training to triumph. I've had, I've had a, a bench press bar across my forehead a couple of times. It's not a pleasant thing. Aren't you glad that we have each other to go through this process with? We are each strengthened by watching each other being trained to triumph. When you walk through this building and you are victorious and yet you're still in the battle, that makes a rally cry in this room, rise up to the heavenly realms. You begin to inspire life and victory in other people. Trust me, you you have to be aware of the impact that you can make within our body. Walking in with a smile, walking with a victorious attitude, you can change the atmosphere of this entire place because you are standing firm in the status that God has given you. Everyone turn with us to Colossians 2. Say, train to triumph as you turn.
1: Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 9. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. Guys, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. We want to tell you tonight that, do you see the you in verse 10? That's a plural you. That is a plural you, meaning that us together, when we're dwelling together as the body of Christ, we have the very fullness of Christ among us. Guys, it's just like Israel on their journey from Egypt to the land of promise. They journeyed together as one nation. That's actually what caused them to mature. That's the very thing that caused them to reach God's goal for their lives and for their generations. You have been brought to fullness. The secret is, and what we're trying to get at tonight, is that you're just learning how to operate in that fullness, just like we're learning how to operate it as well. And we get to do it together. Verse 15, And having disarmed the powers
0: and authorities... He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. You know, what's clear is that this is what Messiah did, and this is also what we do. We take the sons of Haman inside of us, and we make public spectacle of them, crucifying them in full view and finding joy in advance of our own death because we know that it leads to triumph and resurrection power. And it will happen again and again and again. But we have an aim and goal tonight. Our aim and goal is that each and every one of us are to have a firm understanding of our status in Christ. So that we can rejoice before the battle. So that we can stand our ground. And so that we can use the authority of God's word assembled and empowered with brothers next to us. But you know, it goes well beyond just rejoicing before the battle. It's having also the ability to rejoice during the battle and also the ability to rejoice after the battle because we then look forward to the next battle and therefore the display of resurrection life again. We as a church, as a body, are being trained to triumph and we are gaining more ground and more triumph every day that passes by. But it requires something from us right here and right now. What it requires is to have an attitude from Habakkuk 3. Yet, I will rejoice. Yet, I will rejoice despite what my eyes see and what circumstances declare. I'm going to have the victorious attitude ahead of time. I'm going to stand firmly on the status that God has given me and let come out of my mouth declarations of praise. Is that something that you guys will do with us? Will you stand now, right now, in your status? And be ready to declare
1: that same attitude of, yet I will rejoice. Guys, we're going to put this into practice right now. Do you know what your status is in Christ Jesus tonight? Are you ready to change and elevate the atmosphere all around us yet again tonight as we worship our King? Come on, let's begin to worship our king together. Lift up your hands. Begin to praise him for the status that you have been given. Begin to worship him before the battle, before the fight. Let your confidence in him rise before the fight tomorrow, before we leave this room. Let your confidence rise together with your brothers as we worship and we begin to praise our great king.